do you, do you ever have that feeling that your message isn't getting through? Do you ever get that feeling? I'm not talking about me talking to you about my message is not getting through. I'm not saying that at all. Um, that's not what I'm saying. I'm talking about maybe watch the video. There's a video that's going to come up. Watch this video and you might get a, a better understanding of what, what I mean. Das hier ist mein Sektor. Das hier ist das wichtigste Gerät des Küstenwächters. Das Gerät, das Gerät. Überlebensradar. Mayday, Mayday. Hello, can you hear us? Can you hear us? Can you... Over. We are sinking. We are sinking. Hallo? This is the German Coast Guard. What are you thinking about? Has anyone seen that before? That's a classic. It's the best. <laughs> I could watch that every time and laugh. I, this is fantastic. Um, you know, the message wasn't quite getting through in the right way, was it? It wasn't quite getting through. And this morning we're going to encounter someone or some other messengers who had a message that just wasn't making it. It wasn't getting through. And the consequences were just as dire for the people that were listening as that poor ship off the German coast there. So let's pray and get into looking at these messages of God who were not always heard. So God, help us to understand uh, the message this morning. Help us to understand the word. Help us to understand what our response to it should be as well. Amen. If you've got your Bibles, you might want to open to 1 Kings chapter 18. And we're going to have a, have, a, have a meander through 1 Kings chapter 18 through this morning. But last week we saw how God had divided the kingdom of Israel into two kingdoms. And if you don't know about the two kingdoms, go back to last week's uh, message. You'll hear all about how that all came about. We said that after the kingdom split, there was there two kings... And neither kingdoms went real well. They just had this gradual decline. Well, for, for the north, it was probably a fairly sudden and fairly um, big decline, quick decline. In, in fact, 208 years of Israel's history of that time, um, there, were, there were 38 kings. And only five were described as good. This is in, uh, in both kingdoms, actually. Only five were described as good. That's a high turnover of kings through that time, isn't it? Um, it's, it's low in any sense of bringing God's people back to God. That's what didn't happen, but the turnover was big. In fact, the kings, they were not just described as they're not that good. They weren't described as they're not, they, they, they did one or two good things. They, they were described as evil. The Bible says they were evil, not just a little bit bad or a little bit quirky, a little bit off. They were described as evil. I mean, we've all had times where we've looked at our politicians and gone, I really don't think that was the right thing to do, or I don't like that, or and I'm not going to name names because it will start a political debate, but we sometimes think our politicians might have made the wrong call or something like that. But would we ever have called our politicians evil? Maybe. <laughs> I'll let you answer that. I don't I was thinking about this. Over the past, what, two, de two, uh, two centuries, say, the past couple of centuries, there's only a few people in the world that you probably really call evil. There's only a few people that you'd call 
evil um, on, the, on the global scene. You might know people yourself, but on the global scene. But this nation of Israel was God's elect nation. A nation that was to bear witness to other nations of God's sovereignty, yet it just wasn't hitting the mark. It wasn't doing it. In fact, it was doing the opposite. God's people were, were not being directed back to God. They were facing the other way and pretty much running. They were going the wrong way. Why? Because all the other nations were cramming in on them and were infiltrating Israel and Judah and bringing in their small g gods, their idols. It all started because the, Israel, the nation of Israel wanted to be like all the other nations. Well, unfortunately, they sort of got it. And the kings started worshipping not just Yahweh, but anything they could, really. Well, they drew further and further apart from God. They, these kings, they allowed deplorable practices to happen, things totally against the will of God. Throughout the reign of the kings, it's not unusual to read something along the lines of 1 Kings 16, verse 12. It says, that's verse 2, it says this. I lifted you up from the dust and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. Big thing to do. But you followed the ways of Jeroboam. We learned about him a little bit last week. Not a great fellow. You caused my people Israel to sin and to arouse my anger by their sins. They made God angry because of the way they were, being, they were treating the people of Israel and steering them off course. You followed the ways of Jeroboam. You caused my people, Israel, my people, God's people, to sin. It's a pretty damning sort of verse to read. Jesus, he gave a similar warning, though, to anyone who caused another to stumble. In Matthew 18, 6, says, If anyone causes one of these little ones, he's talking about the children, who's, who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. That's pretty heavy language. As Christian people, we're called to direct, to lead, to guide people to Jesus. We're not to cause them to turn their back on Jesus and walk a different way. And Jesus is pretty clear as to what he believes should be better, would be better if you're doing that. Chuck a big rock around your neck and jump in the river. That's what he says. It's pretty strong. It is really strong. And it's strong in, that, in the Old Testament because the kings were doing exactly that. They were leading the nations away from Yahweh. They led people away from their heritage, from what they knew, from what had brought them out of slavery and into this land that was promised to them. And so, Scripture calls them evil. Yet God still loves them. God still loves them. God still has a plan for them. And God's promise to Abraham is still to be fulfilled, regardless of how depraved the society was getting. Because God continues to love and love, and God keeps his promises. So for these 208 years of Israel's messiness, God didn't just passively wait for them to fiddle out and make such a mess of it that there was no turning back. Rather, he sent some messengers, prophets, to call them back to Yahweh. That was the job of the prophet, was to call them back to their Lord. 
to beseech God's people, come back to God. Turn back, turn from your ways and turn back. That's what repentance is, isn't it? If we're going one way and God's over there and we're going this way, repentance is going, I'm going the wrong way. I'm going to do a 180 and I'm going to come straight back to God. That's repentance. And that's what the role of these prophets was to do. The northern kingdom alone, God raised up nine prophets during that 208-year period to give them a message. And we look on at that time and think, the people didn't hear. They didn't hear the messages. How could they get so crossed in the wires that they missed the messages that were coming through? It's not like they were speaking German and the prophets were speaking English. But the prophets tried. And again and again, they would try. But again and again, even if they came back to God a little bit, then they'd just go back to their old ways again and again. But we can learn a lot from the prophets. And it's worth having a read through them at some stage. Um, Just go through uh, all the prophets at some stage. It's good good reading. It's good reading. Um, You've got to be a little careful because the language can be uh, uh, in in sort of uh, different types of languages going through. So it can be hard to understand. But it's worth having a a read through. But one of the prophets, and one of the prophets that I I like reading about was, was the prophet Elijah. And he lived through one of the worst kings that there was. In fact, probably the most evil of all kings. And, and uh, Elijah's job during this time of this reign of king, of this king was to bring the people back to Yahweh. And I'm going to camp on Elijah for a little bit because I think we can learn a little bit from Elijah's life and from the way that he prayed. You see, Elijah was a Tishbite. Who's heard of the place Tishbeh? No, no one, because because no one knows where it was. It was a little known town, but it raised up this prophet uh, Elijah. It's not even expanded on in um, in uh, the the scripture. There's no major fame coming from Tishba except for Elijah. But we find Elijah comes from Tishba. And the story can be read in 1 Kings 17 to 19. If you've never sort of read it before, it's worth reading to understand better. But Elijah is dated uh, to be around about the 900 BC mark and was around through the the, the reign of King uh, Ahab. And King Ahab had not a great record. And he also had a wife that had an even worse record. His wife was Jezebel. Now, the book of James in the New Testament, he looks at Elijah a little bit. And he depicts Elijah as being a righteous person in a time that wasn't righteous at all. He was a righteous person. It says this in James 5. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. That's a long time with no rain. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. You can find that in James 5, verses 16 to 18. See, James reminds us that Elijah was righteous, and his prayers changed the weather systems. (laughs) If that's not a powerful and effective prayer, I don't know what is. (laughs) But let's sort of backtrack a little bit. I'm going to look at the, um, the verses in 1 Kings 18 a little bit um, to understand Elijah's life through three main points. First of all, the point uh, coming straight from James's uh, verse, the prayer of the righteous. What is that like? What's the prayer of the righteous? To understand Elijah's prayer, 
to understand how he could change the, the weather. We need to understand what was happening there in the land at the time. Why did there need to be a drought? Why was it three years that he stopped all rain? Because that doesn't sound like a good thing to do. But 1 Kings 16, just a few chapters before, verses 29 to 33 say this. In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, son of Omri, became king of Israel, and he reigned in Samaria over Israel 22 years. Verse 30, this is pretty telling. Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. Now, we knew that these kings weren't great, but this one takes the cake. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, this is verse 31, of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. He took a wife from a neighboring nation uh, that didn't, didn't see Yahweh as Lord, but brought in the pagan um, gods that he started to worship. Verse 32, he set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. Ahab also made an Asherah pole and did more to arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than all, did all the kings of Israel before him. He was not a good king. He was not a good king. He did not have his eyes on God one bit. He married the daughter of a foreign king. I'm not sure what he thought was going to happen there. Maybe he thought there was going to be some sort of alliance there that would be helpful for Israel. But it just took their eyes so far away from God that it just made it real messy. A bit further in the text, we hear of how bad he was coming to the end of his reign. It says this, um, I think this is in 1 Kings 21. It says this, There was never anyone like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord, urged on by Jezebel, his wife. He behaved in the vilest manner by going after idols, like the Amorites the Lord drove out before Israel. He went after these things. He didn't just have them sort of start gathering in the house. You know, when, you, when you're sort of uh, in your house and it's clean and then five days later, all of a sudden there's all this stuff. It's not like that. It just sort of all happens. He went after this stuff. He brought it in. It's pretty dire. He's not a good king and he hadn't been a good king. He had no intent on turning the eyes of, uh, of God's people back to God. No intention at all. It was only there, he was only there to get what he could out of being the king of Israel. And the reality is, he was pushed around a fair bit by his powerful wife, Jezebel. So this Tishbite, so Tishbe, where's that? No one knows. Elijah, he spent time in preparation for this moment, though, to come against this evil, evil king. He spent time in the desert preparing. We know someone else who spent time in the desert preparing. We know that Jesus went out uh, for his time in the wilderness. Elijah was fed by ravens. He, was ra he raised a woman to life. There's so many parallels. And Elijah comes on the scene in a total contrast to this evil king Ahab. Elijah comes in and has, uh, he's a prophet and he brings the word and the word has power and the word has such power that it changes the weather system. 1 Kings 17 verse 1 says, As the Lord the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will neither be dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. He has the word to stop the rain, and to make a start again, to make a start again. Elijah's statement, it has power to change. Remember what James said that Elijah was? 
that Elijah was a righteous man. And the prayer of the righteous man is powerful. Elijah's call from the Lord was to teach this evil king a lesson. Turn back to God. Turn back to God. And if you don't, there's not going to be rain. We know in Australia the devastation that a lack of rain can have, don't we? We know how bad it can get for our, our, the, the, the farmers, for the cattle, the crops. Drought is a horrible thing. Things can't, animals can't survive. Crops can't survive. Humans can't survive. Yet, this is what Elijah brings. This is where James 5 comes in. The power of the prayer of a righteous person is powerful. And he stopped the rain for three and a half years. Must have been devastating. Can you imagine it? Devastating. Three and a half years. After three and a half years, this is how 1 Kings 18 verse 2 describes the situation. It says, the famine, now the famine was severe. The famine was severe in Samaria. Severe is not a good word at all, is it? Especially when you're talking about a famine. A famine being severe. So Elijah, it comes to a stage, Elijah meets with Ahab. Ahab says, I've got to find this guy. I've got to meet with him. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, is that you? This is 1 Kings 18, verse 17 and 19. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? As if it was Elijah's fault there wasn't any rain. Not looking at himself, looking elsewhere. I've not made, and Elijah responds, I've not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. Remember, this is an evil king with an evil wife, and Elijah's just going at him. You have abandoned the Lord's commands, and you have followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel. He comes to a solution. This is the solution. Summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring, up, bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. Bring everyone. Elijah's already set a fairly, sent a fairly significant message by not having any rain for three and a half years. That's at his word. But it doesn't seem to have made any difference. You'd think that Ahab might go, right, I know that you're the prophet that God sent. I know that you've said there won't be rain. How can we sort this thing out? Because it's really hurting our land. Let's work it out. What do we got to do? Oh, you want us to come back to God. Well, what do we do to do that? You'd think that maybe Ahab would do that. But Ahab had his eyes so heavily on himself that he goes, you troubler. You're causing this problem. So we're going to get you. And so he makes a different... Uh, Elijah says, no, we'll do a different way. He challenges the gods of Jezebel, so Baal and Asherah, to meet him on Mount Carmel. 950 prophets against one. Now, humanly speaking, that's not great odds, is it? Not unless you're an Avenger um, from the Avengers, and then they can beat up everyone, apparently. I don't matter. But, the, but when you're with Yahweh, it's good odds. I feel sorry for the 950 prophets of the other gods because we're going to read in uh, 1 Kings 18 verse 20. This is what happened. So Ahad sent word throughout Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. He's given them the opportunity to choose. He's given them the opportunity to go, Hey, Remember, remember your past, remember your upbringing, remember the, the stories of the past that, you, that your ancestors... No. But the people, instead of going, oh, yeah, I remember the Lord is God, no. The next verse says, the people 
said nothing. The people said nothing. The messenger was bringing a message. If the Lord is God, follow the Lord. Hey, remember that. But if Baal is God, you follow him. He's calling them to remember the God of their ancestors. And the people said nothing. They remained silent. Follow Yahweh if you know he's the Lord. You do know he's the Lord. Or follow Baal if you think he's the Lord. But they said nothing. You know that feeling when you're you're not sure what is right or wrong? You're not sure which way you should go? You get asked a question and you go... And you just don't know? I get the feeling that's where the people were at. They were so ingrained in what Ahab had brought to this nation. Baal, Asherah, Yahweh, all mixed in. They're going, I just don't know anymore. You become like a deer in headlights, totally frozen. I get the feeling that, that Ahab had put so much weight on Jezebel's little g-gods that Israel had forgotten the Lord. But the prayer of the righteous person is powerful and effective. We've got to remember that. So Elijah, being this righteous man, he challenges the prophets of Baal and Asherah to a prayer duel. A prayer duel, not like a, a battle duel, a prayer duel. And it leads to a second point. The prayer of the, powerful, uh, the, prayer of the righteous is, uh, purchase, person is powerful and effective. It is powerful and effective. So Elijah makes a plan. And each side would build an altar. They'd slaughter a bull on it for a sacrifice and then call on their God to send down fire to consume that altar, that sacrifice. Whoever's God does it, wins as such. So Ahab goes first. His prophets um, calling on, on Baal to consume the sacrifice with fire. And they call and they call and nothing happens. They start dancing around the altar, pleading with Baal. You've got to show up. You've got to show up. But nothing happens. And it prompts, I suppose, the first bit of trash talk in the Bible. Um, Elijah stands by watching and he says, uh, he taunts them and he says this in 1 Kings 18, verse 27. He says, shout louder. Surely he's a god. Perhaps he's deep in thought. Or perhaps he's busy or he's traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and he must be awakened. <laughs> I've heard similar things when, uh, when someone makes a big mistake in the footy. <laughs> Drops an easy chess mark or something. Says, thinking about something more important, are you? That sort of thing. Well, Elijah was doing that sort of thing. Taunting them. Trash talking them. Maybe Baal seems to be MIA. He's not, he's not around. He's, he's probably got other important things to be doing. <laughs> maybe this just isn't important enough for Baal. Or maybe just Baal isn't real. Some commentators suggest that Elijah's taunts are suggesting that Baal was otherwise uh, predisposed. He's um, maybe on the loo. Uh, that's what some commentators think he might be doing. That's what the, the, the thing is. Whatever the taunts, they spur the prophets on even more. <laughs> so they, they do whatever they can to get Baal's attention. So they start cutting themselves and doing all this stuff, trying to get the attention of their little G, God, praying frantically for him to listen, but the prayer of the righteous man is powerful and effective. The meat on the on the on the on their thing, you can imagine that. It's the middle of the day, it's hot, that's getting smelly. Like, come on, there needs to be something happening here. And nothing happens. No fire, no signal that Baal was there. 
Remember what the, the, Elijah had said? If Baal is God, you follow Baal. If Yahweh is God, you follow him. So it's Elijah's turn. Let's read it, and we read this um, in uh, verse 20, about th- verse 30. It says this, of 1 Kings 18. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come here to me. They came to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob. 12, remember that? Because remember, there was the two split now, 10 and 2, but he still brought them together. The 12 stones, 12 tribes of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel, one nation, Israel. With these stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it large enough to hold two seers of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bull in pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said. And they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered. And they did it a third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. Now, Elijah did a few things here that make... Uh, that, that help us to realize that how powerful, how big, how amazing our God is. Firstly, he bought those 12 stones. The kingdom was divided, but he said, no, actually, we're going to bring the 12. We're going to unite the tribes in this because Yahweh is God over the 12. So one nation, he says. And then he goes beyond what the challenge was set. The challenge was just to call down fire, but he then goes and pours four large jugs of water onto the altar and does it three times. I don't know how much fire building you've done, but it's not easy to build a fire um, with wet logs. It doesn't burn. It doesn't burn well. In fact, if in a bushfire, you'll see um, the firefighters hosing down the trees so that they're, they're wet, so the bushfire doesn't keep going, or people in their properties hosing down their grass and that, so that it's all wet. It just doesn't burn. So Elijah's doing this. He's, he's getting the, uh, making the altar really wet. Well, we must also consider that he's just used 12 jugs of water in the middle of a three-and-a-half-year drought. Surely that's not a wise thing to do either. Elijah had, he knew something else was happening. He knew something was going on here. And Elijah had this inside understanding that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective and that soon his word would bring back water, would bring back rain. Those looking on must have been going, Elijah, what are you doing? I've followed you this far, but now I'm starting to think you've gone a little little funny. (laughs) But he does it without even blinking an eye because he has an understanding that Yahweh's going to answer. And he wants that message to sink into all the people that are watching. He's making a massive statement. God will not only bring fire on the tinder that is really ready to go, he's going to consume the wet soaked wood and all the water um, that's gathered around. So the chapter continues, verse 36. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known that today you are God in Israel, and the, one nation, and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord. Answer me. So these people will know that you are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. The role of the prophet, turn the people back to God. 
Verse 38, then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones and the soil and also licked up all the water in the trench. Well, that goes to the end of their water. (laughs) Elijah calls out to God and fire comes down from heaven, turning that wet, watery wood into an all-consuming inferno, answering the prayer of Elijah. Why? That these people will see that you are Lord, and their hearts will turn back. The result of this dramatic display of God's power, when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. That's 1 Kings 18 verse 39. It took this pretty major visual display for the people to turn back to worshipping God, didn't it? It was pretty big. And you'd go, oh, I'd probably turn back to God in that instance as well. It's, all right, we've proved that. In our context today, though, what we don't have Baal and Asherah to contend with in front of us, leading us away from the worship of our Lord. It would be arrogant of us to think that there were no idols that are right there in front of us, stopping us from our commitment to Jesus. I wonder if you can to consider, just in your own life, even in the last week or two weeks, where you spent your most energy, your most money, where you spent your most time with. What things was it that took up those things? I wonder with how it would compare with how you spent your time, you allocated your energy and your money to devoting to God. In a few weeks' time, we're going to take a step out of the story series um, and we're going to look at uh, a three-week series on stewardship. And we're going to honour God, see how we can honour God with our time, with our resources and with our finances. And I think it's eye-opening when you start to consider that some of these things, especially in the light of Christmas, because that's where we, we pour our resource into the shops and we buy lots and lots of things. It's easy to take our eyes off Christ and put our eyes on everything else, on the rituals that we bring to Christmas. I love Christmas and I love rituals. I love what we do. We, we make our own uh, family. When we first had our um, Tarquin, we said, we're going to make family rituals. And it's really cool, the things that we do at Christmas time. We love it. But when it takes our eyes off Jesus, it becomes an idol. It becomes an idol. It can come down to specifics on your daily life. What's the first app you look at when you open your phone in the morning? Is it Instagram or Facebook or is it the Bible app? Or what's the first book you pick up if you're not an app type of person? When you put your radio on in the car and you put a podcast on, are you listening to things that help you understand God's word a little more? Or are you listening to the senseless stuff that makes you go, oh, I can remove myself from society? Now, I'm not saying that doing that's bad. I'm not saying that shopping at Christmas is bad. But it makes you think, doesn't it? Where do I put God in these spaces? Where do I put God in between all the other things that cram in? Because that's what the Israelites did. They had all these things that crammed in around them. They're idols, and God brings them back to the remembrance through Elijah's prayer for fire that God alone is to be worshipped. God alone. 
God before all others. And he's going to use the prayer of the righteous to bring them back. Maybe you've been praying earnestly for fire to engulf the heart of someone that you know that doesn't know Jesus. Maybe that's been your prayer. I remember going to a conference early in my time as a pastor. We were over in England at that time. And hearing someone talk about the importance of praying home the prodigals. The prodigals being those who have been around, had an understanding of who Jesus is. The Sunday school generation that started going to Sunday school but never kept going. I was one of them. And he talked about more than ever, there are people who have left the church over the last 20, 30 years for whatever reason it may be. We need to be praying that they may encounter Christ afresh. Praying for, like what the Israelites, they took their eyes off God, went a different way. Praying that somehow, maybe even through you, that God might use you to bring them back to an understanding of God again. Because, this is the last point, with prayer, there is always hope. There's always hope. So Elijah has now defeated all the prophets of Baal. The people are turning back to Yahweh, uh, for now at least. And Elijah gets all these false prophets. He goes and he gets rid of them. He kills them. At this stage, we're thinking perhaps King Ahab might turn good. He might finally realize that his wife is a dud and turn good. But unfortunately, when you're married to Jezebel, when you go back to her, you're just going to get led astray again. You're just going to get led astray again. But Elijah says to Ahab, This is in verse 41, uh, 1 Kings 18. And Elijah said to Ahab, Go eat and drink, for there is a sound of heavy rain. I think he's saying to Ahab, Be prepared to celebrate. The drought's finishing. So Ahab went off to eat and drink. But Elijah climbed to the top of of Carmel, bent down to the ground, and put his face between his knees. Now Elijah's just defeated the prophets of Baal through prayer, and he's back in prayer space again to bring the rain back. You know, the people, they were turning back to God. There was still a problem, though, that this drought was real. So Elijah sets about praying for the end of this drought. And by the end of the chapter, the drought, the rain comes. In 18 verse 45, 1 Kings 18 verse 45. Meanwhile, the sky grew black black with crowds. The winds rose, a heavy rain started falling. And Ahab didn't praise God. Unfortunately, Ahab rode off to Jezreel back to his wife. Yet with prayer, there's always hope. With prayer, there is always hope. And the only hope for Israel was that the rain would come at Elijah's word. It did. Hope was restored. Hope that the land would once again provide for them. Hope that there will be an end to the rain. Ahab didn't happen right then, but it did happen in a, in a, in a, in a little while. A hope that things might be different, that people's eyes will be turned back to God. Because the prayer of the righteous person is powerful and effective. We see it in Elijah's stories. You'll see it as you read through the stories of other messengers, other prophets that God sends. But what does it mean for us? Well, firstly, it means that we need to seek righteousness. We need to, before God, seek righteousness. How do we do that? Well, we take our eyes off the Baal and the Asherah, don't we? We start by orienteering our, uh, our priorities towards God. We put God first, God as number one. When you first wake up, pray. When you first wake up, read your scripture. When you first wake up, don't do anything until you've set your eyes on Christ. 
orienting your priorities towards God's mean considering how you spend your time, considering how you spend your money. You need to go to work. You need to do these things. But what can you do to help yourself be oriented towards God in those spaces? Because it can be pretty easy to waste time. We can do it very easily, can't we? Scroll, scroll, scroll. We can do that easily. Putting the Word of God front and center in your life is orienting your life towards God. Are you heading towards being a righteous, towards righteousness before God? Because the prayer of the righteous person is powerful and effective. Now I have a challenge for you. That, and there are two ways you can do this challenge um, over this week. Um, and it's about prayer. It's all about prayer. Uh, you can pray for anything. You can pray for everything, which is really good. And you can have lots of prayer. That's fine. Um, but um, we have two ways that you can pray specifically through the week. One is on uh, Friday night. And we heard from Sarah. She talked about the group that meets here on a Friday night. But if you can't meet here on a Friday night, there is a, a, a WhatsApp group that we get messages sent through about what's going on with the, the youth group ministry. And as it comes through, I look at that and I start praying and I can pray for the kids, even if I'm at home or even if I'm somewhere else. You might want to be part of that group. If you've got a phone and you've got WhatsApp, you just need to be added to the WhatsApp messenger group and you can do that. If, you're not part, if you haven't got a, a WhatsApp account, that's okay and you don't want to get that, that's okay. But you can commit between seven and nine, even if it's for half an hour or 15 minutes, to stopping and praying for our young people as they hear, because they're hearing a message of hope every single week, as they hear a message of hope, to stop on a Friday night to do that. We also have the team that go out to Baronia on a Wednesday night, and uh, we'd love more people to go out with the team. That'd be awesome. Um, but if you're thinking, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I can get out there on a Wednesday night. You can still be a part of that ministry because in the same way we've set up a WhatsApp group for prayer messages to come through on the Wednesday night. Any of the team might send a prayer message saying, hey, um, we know uh, Kaz is now talking to someone. Just pray that she's able to share Jesus with them. And you can pray at that time. If you've got WhatsApp, you can be part of that group. And we ask that if we get enough people, we want to cover the night, both of those nights in prayer, from the time that starts to the, to the end. So we want to cover them in prayer. We can all do that. We can all be a part of that. If we all took 15 minutes of our night, somewhere between 7 and 9, we can be praying on a Wednesday night and a Friday night and cover these things in the prayer. Because prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. If you want to be part of those groups, come and see me. We'd love to get you uh, linked into the WhatsApp of those two. If you haven't got WhatsApp, uh, the Wednesday night group send out emails as well. So if you've got email, you can be part of that. So you can do that well. Now the German Coast Guard that we saw didn't quite understand that message that was coming through. I'm sure he would have loved to hear that message in German and all would have been okay. Well, I'm sure for many of us, Hearing God speak today feels sometimes the same. Was that what God was saying to us? Wouldn't it be great if we had an Elijah to come and sit on the mountain and call fire down so that we'd know 100%? But sometimes we just don't. Sometimes we don't. We don't see it in that way. But God has given us a helping hand. The prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective, but he's also given us his word. His word is that continual sense of God's voice speaking to us 
and Elijah in our pocket as such, helping us to understand what he wants for our lives. God's word guides us like a lamp leading us along a path. Seek righteousness. Be stuck in the word. Pray earnestly. And my prayer is that as we see the the righteous praying, there's going to be powerful and effective things. We're going to give thanks to God for all that he's doing here in Kilsyth South and beyond. Let's pray. Our Lord God, we give you thanks for the story of Elijah, the story of powerful prayer, and the story that gives us the courage to pray as well. We ask, our Lord, that our eyes may be turned to you, that we may continue to orient ourselves to you, that we may be seen righteous in your eyes, that we may pray in confidence, knowing that the prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. We thank you, Lord, for your word. Amen.